0: Well, in case you're just joining us, the whole Hot Seat series idea is that we are— in each message, each week, we're simply responding to a question that was submitted in our Hot Seat question box. And we found plenty of content to take us well through eight weeks. Today's the last part. And uh, we've, we've got so many good questions that we're kicking around the idea of maybe doing this again in a year or in, the, in two years, but making this kind of a recurring thing that uh, we get to do here at Bethlehem. Uh, so many great answers and—I'm uh, sorry, so many great questions, and I hope the answers were great too as, as we got to go through them. So today is the final part, and today the topic is going to get us into prayer. Now, prayer is something that usually every year or two we have a series dedicated just to talking about prayer. But the question we received in the box was a question that we haven't really addressed, at least not recently here at Bethlehem. So we thought this would be a good opportunity to go ahead and address the issue. The question that came out of the box was this, does prayer change things? Does it change things? Now, what the question implies is this. There is some tension between the nature of prayer and the nature of God. Can we really pray and change things just because of our prayers? And here's where the tension comes in. The, the nature of prayer seems to conflict with the nature of God to some degree, and here's why. See, the nature of prayer is that we make observations about daily life. We see things that are good. We see things that are bad. And in prayer, we send our intel up to God to let him know what's going on, We thank him for the good parts, and we ask him to adjust the bad parts. That's kind of the nature of prayer, right? Well, the nature of God seems to conflict with the nature of prayer because God, by nature, knows all, sees all, is everywhere. You see, he is not confined to space or matter or time like we are. He exists beyond time, which means, get this, he sees all present, past, and future as one big painting already done. He is anywhere and everywhere at the same time. Now this is mind-boggling for us. And so just to kind of hitch that idea onto a picture, I just want you to imagine a big guy in a little suit. Just picture a really big guy in a little suit for a moment here. And this big guy in this little suit, you know, he gets into that suit, but as soon as he flexes and moves down, that suit splits into half story over. That's what would happen if God were to inhabit this universe. If the creator would step inside of his creation, it would split apart because it cannot confine the one who created it. What does that mean for prayer? It means... He knows all. He sees all. Who are we to tell him what's going on inside of his creation? There's another part to this. You see, I don't know if this is true of you, but with me, I get really, really impatient when my kids get bossy with me. Like when they think they know a better way or a better plan and they kind of impose that on me. Uh, For example, if my kids, you know— Evening rolls around, Dad, I want a snack. Dad, I want a sandwich. I'm like, well, okay, good for you, first of all. But I've I've come up with two words, two words, that when my kids get bossy or testy with me, I have two words. It's like my go-to phrase, and you can totally steal this if you want to. But when they say, Dad, I want this, or Dad, I want that, without saying, like, please or being polite, I say, that's nice. I want a sandwich. That's nice. You should probably get a job and go buy some bread and get yourself a sandwich. If you ask me nicely, I might share my bread with you and my jelly and my peanut butter. But (laughs) that's nice. When my kids get bossy with me, that's nice. You go ahead and do that on your own. Is that how God views our prayers? The creature is telling the creator what to do. God, thank you for this part, but could you change this over here? And God's just thinking, that's nice. That's cute. You're telling me what to do. Yeah. Go have fun with that. Go ahead and and find it for yourself. There's the, the nature of God seems to conflict with the nature of prayer, doesn't it? And so right off the bat, I just want to acknowledge that when it comes to prayer, God does not need your advice, and he doesn't need your approval In order to do something. He's been doing fine without you before you were born, and he'll do fine without you after you're gone. He doesn't need your intel, your observations, your insights, or your approval before he does anything. That's his nature. But does prayer change things? The surprising answer is yes. And since the question for the series was a yes or no question, I could just leave it at that. Yes, prayer changes things. Let's close with prayer. But here's where our curiosity has to lead us. You see, we see this conflict between the nature of prayer and the nature of God, but when we see God inhabit this creation, taking on the very nature of man, flesh and blood, when the Son of God was here, he taught people to pray. And he modeled prayer for people to see. When God was physically among us, he told us to pray. And for that reason alone, we should search out the answer. Well, does prayer change anything? And what we're going to see today is that yes, it absolutely does. Now, what we're going to get into today is definitely not prayer basics. Jesus taught prayer basics. Uh, There's a few sections where he taught people how to pray. He told them the Lord's Prayer. Um, But what we're going to look at today is kind of jumping into the deep end of the prayer topic. We're going to look at something written by James, the brother of Jesus. And he's writing a letter to try to encourage people, among other things, to be better prayers. And so as we're going to dive into this, he's going to unlock several different areas of life or several different reasons why prayer changes things. And as he does so, I'll kind of leave it up to you to make your own conclusion because what we come to next week in our new series is going to dive into this a whole lot more. But we're going to dive into James chapter 5, and it's here that James gives some life situations where he says, if you notice this, that's your cue to pray. If you happen to do this, that's your cue to pray. He says these are times when you should, because these are times when things will change. He starts off like this in James 5. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. As as James wrote this, he perhaps was thinking of his original audience to whom he wrote this letter, thinking of people who had been abandoned by their families because of their faith in Jesus. Perhaps he was thinking about people in financial problems because of their own mistakes or because they were kicked out of business when they started following Jesus. Perhaps James was thinking about uh, marriages that were in conflict. Perhaps he thought of parents who were worried about their children and how they would grow up and would they be healthy and would they make the right choices. And perhaps he was thinking about people who were taking care of their elderly relatives. How would they navigate this and care for their own family as well? Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. But you tried that, didn't you? You were in trouble. Someone you loved was in trouble. And so you prayed boldly. And fervently, you asked God to change it, but nothing changed. James gives a blanket statement. If you're ever in trouble, pray. And before you raise your arm and say, Yeah, I tried that, prayer doesn't change anything, there is something that changes. Before we get to that, here's what else he said. Is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing a song of praise. The the last phrase here, let them sing songs of praise. That's one word in the Greek, and that makes English translators really angry when we have to translate one word into many. But the idea is psalm it. Uh, Sing a psalm. Sing about it. Praise God about it. When you're happy and you know it, Sing to God and praise him for it. Now, maybe James had in his mind people who had healthy, thriving marriages. Their kids were grown up and and successful, and they had enough saved so that they didn't have to worry if hard times would come. Uh, He was thinking about all the people who were in healthy Christian communities and the blessings that came from that. And he says, if that makes you happy, praise God. Address God in prayer with a song of thanks. Not just words from your heart that connect with his, but words from your lips that praise him and what he has done. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, in good times, I don't want things to change. But here's the thing. When things are bad things, you might want things to change. When things are good, you might need something to change. And in both situations, that thing is you. When you take the troubles that are burdening your heart and you take them and you give them to God in prayer, they become a lot less real quick. The things that worry you are now put into God's good and gracious hands and things start to change. Is anyone in trouble? Let them pray because when you pray and bring that to God— You change. Your perspective changes. And similarly, when you're happy, when things are going well, you need to take that to God in prayer because the things that make you happy in this life, when you cover those with the happiness of heaven, you get a lot more happy. It it changes the way you view happiness when you pray about it and bring it to God and thank him for it. So maybe to, to, to put a number on it, Number two on your sheet, prayer brings eternal perspective into temporary circumstances or temporary situations. Yeah, you might be in trouble, but when you take that into an eternal perspective, now it looks different and you handle it better. When you're going through good times and you bring that to God, you're reminded things might not always be this good, but I'm going to thank God for this moment because this is a moment for my good Father in heaven. Prayer changes you because when you bring your troubles and happiness into the presence of God, it changes your perspective. It gives you a heavenly perspective of all the things that you're dealing with here on earth. And we're going to see that a little bit more in what James has to say next. There's a change that happens internally or within you. But I just want you to remember this. This isn't one of those messages where I'm just going to trick you and say, haha, prayer changes you, let's move on. By the end, we're going to see that prayer changes things beyond you. But first, there's something even more important. Now in this next few verses, what James has to say in the Greek is hard to bring into English because we're not entirely sure what he was trying to communicate. It seems like he's going back and forth between two ideas, and we're not entirely sure which one he was talking about. But by the end, I'll tell you what we can safely say about prayer and how it can bring a change. Here's what James said. Is anyone among you sick? Now, the word sick, we're, we're thinking, is that literally, physically sick? Is it spiritually sick? Or what kind of a sick is he talking about? We just have to kind of wait and see how he explains it. If, is anyone sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. So after reading through this, I decided we're going to start an oil anointing ministry here at Bethlehem starting next week. If you'd like to stay after the service, we'll have a pool of oil where (laughs) we—kidding—we will not do that. But again, this brings up questions. What does it mean they were anointing people with oil? And there's two options. Number one, like the Good Samaritan anointed the hurt Man with oil to soothe his wounds. Maybe this was the equivalent of Tylenol back in the day or chicken soup, where this will help you feel better. Maybe it was a spiritual thing where they said, We're going to anoint you in the name of the Lord to remember that you are a chosen one of God and you are more than a conqueror in Christ. You are anointed into the kingdom of God. And so this would be a a way to, to symbolically build that person up. Again, we're not entirely sure. But when we look at the context, We will walk away with one big change. Next verse. And the prayer offered in faith over that sick person will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Okay. So all we have to do is go to the hospital with some oil and anoint them and pray over them, and boom, they're walking out. It doesn't seem that's what James is suggesting. The words he's using here for offering in faith, making the person well, can also be translated, the prayer of faith will save them. Like salvation save them. And the Lord will not just raise them up from the sickbed, the Lord will resurrect them. He's using terms that are kind of ambiguous because, here's what I walk away with, James is acknowledging that sometimes there are, there, there are these bouts of guilt or uncertainty or anxiety that can get at you so deeply that it has a physical impact on you to the point where you don't want to go out in public. You don't want to go out among people. So James says, call the elders to you, have them come and love on you, pray over you, and have them pray for your forgiveness so that if there is a sin that's bothering you, it will be gone. And James, I believe, had in mind what his brother said. Shortly before he left his disciples, Jesus said, If you go and forgive anyone of their sins, they're forgiven. Not just, hey, we're cool, but they're forgiven in heaven. Like what you proclaim on earth is done in heaven. And this last verse that James has in here about this topic kind of seals that for me. Verse 16, he says this Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, physically or spiritually. Yes, you will be healed. You will be made whole. And and understand this. The people James wrote to, they died. They weren't miraculously healed for all their lives and for all eternities. They still had sinful bodies to deal with. Healing happens in the heart. Sometimes, when we don't remember that, we can be so distracted and we wander so far that we can get sick. Sick spiritually, that has an impact on us physically and emotionally all the way. So James pleads with them, do not forget the power that was given to, to, the, to the followers of Jesus Christ, that when you forgive someone their sins, end of story, they are forgiven. When you pray for their forgiveness, that is a powerful, powerful thing. So the third thing to remember from today is that prayer aligns your heart with the love of God. Prayer does not win you forgiveness. Prayer does not merit you forgiveness. Prayer is a way to put yourself in the presence of the God who forgives you, to confess your sins to him, and to receive without a question his forgiveness. That aligns your heart in such a way that it changes your perspective on life. So, so where we've come so far, sometimes prayer aligns your mind to the will of God, and sometimes prayer aligns your heart to the love of God. But it gets even bigger than that. We could end here and say this is amazing in and of itself. Prayer changes us so much that we should just make it a regular habit no matter what. But as James go on, goes on, he says there's even something Beyond yourself, that you have influence over through your prayers. He starts it off like this He says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It has great capability, but it can also cause great effect. Who is this righteous person, and what are these effects that he might be talking about? Well, he gives us an example. He knew that his readers, his original audience, would be familiar with this great prophet named Elijah. Elijah did a lot of great things, but there was one thing Elijah did that really illustrated the power of prayer to change things. He says this, Elijah was a human being, just as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Now, before I was born, my older brother Mike really wanted to go to the zoo, And it was all planned. They were going to the zoo on a certain day. But the forecast and the weather outside made that impossible. It was raining, and it was 100% chance of rain for the next day solid. So my brother, Mike, got down on his hands and knees. I don't know how old he was, maybe eight or ten. He got down on, on his hands and knees, and he prayed that it would stop raining. Now what I learned after the early service is that my dad was in the other room praying for the rain to continue. Because he did not want to go to the zoo. But wouldn't you know it, the sky completely cleared up and they were able to go. Amazing. Elijah prayed that it would stop raining and it stopped not for a day, three and a half years. Thousand days, no rain. And you might say, well, that's just odd coincidence that maybe he timed it with the beginning of a drought. But It goes beyond coincidence when you see what happened after three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Within a day, within a few hours of his his prayers for rain, the, the, the heavens opened. Now, you might be thinking, I want some of that. Whatever he's got going on with this prayer thing, I want to be able to do that too. I could do all sorts of great stuff. I would have no more financial worry. My team would win today. Things would change at work. My kids would be healthier, happier, more successful, more independent. Things would just be so great if I could pray a prayer and have it done according to what I want to happen. That's easy to take from this, so much so that maybe we've had the wrong picture of the prophet Elijah. I mean, we've always pictured him as some, you know, godly man who faithfully carried the word of God to the people. But if Elijah could just say a prayer and change anything he wanted, he's not just some, you know, nice prophet, he's the boss. He could do whatever he wants. He could just make his finger snap, and boom, things are different. But in order to understand why Elijah's prayers were so effective, you need to back up and see that this wasn't just his thing that he was doing. Look back at 1 Kings chapter 18, and here's the situation. So the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. You see, this wasn't Elijah coming up with a plan that he wanted His prayer for rain was simply his way to participate in God's plan. Last weekend, thanks to the generosity of some friends, and because they went out of town and they couldn't use the tickets, I was able to take my son to a football game, uh, the Golden Gophers football game last weekend when they faced Northwestern. And I took my six-year-old Aaron with me. What you need to know about Aaron is that that kid loves football. He knows at any given time what each college football team is ranked, what their record is, if they won or beat this team or lost to them last year. I mean, he's just filled up with all this football stuff. It did not come from me. I don't know where it came from. His favorite day of the week is Sunday afternoon, and Sunday evening, and Monday night, and Thursday night, and. Saturday, all day Saturday. He's just in heaven. He loves football. And so when when I told him we could go to this Golden Gophers football game, he was so excited. But last Saturday when we went, it was really cold really cold. I'm like 10 degrees plus. There's like a 20, 30 mile an hour wind blowing through the stadium. So this is right before the game when we went out onto the field and we were there early. We were watching things. He was having a great time. But before I knew it, he was just shivering, shaking. He was so, so cold to the point where I, I brought him up on my lap and I put my coat over him and i was just trying to keep him warm. And my fatherly heart kicked in. I said, Aaron, do you want some hot chocolate? Now, I'm a cheap dad. I don't usually buy stuff. I said, do you want some hot chocolate? We need to warm up. And he's not a chocolate guy. So he said, no, dad, no thanks. My wallet was at his disposal, and he said, no thanks. But he countered it. He said, dad, could I have a soda? I said, no, that's going to make you more cold. That's not what we're looking for. And so he are okay. He kept shaking, kept shaking. So I said, Aaron, do you want to get some warm food, some chicken nuggets, some french fries, something to warm us up? He's like, No. He declined the offer. Just kept sitting there, kept shaking. Cold, cold, cold. And it was with two minutes left in the first quarter that he turns to me and he says through chattering teeth, Dad, can we just go home? Yeah, first service said that too. Oh, can we just go home? And since I have such a fatherly love and because the chi- this tickets cost me absolutely nothing, I said, yeah, let's just leave. Let's go home. We don't, we don't need to stay here anymore. Now, now just notice what happened there. He had no money, but he had the potential to buy anything he wanted. He had no car, no, no driver's license, no keys, but he had the potential to go home whenever he wanted. He was not the boss of me that day. I let him participate in the decision-making process. I said, Aaron, what do you want to do? The plan for today is to let you have fun and to keep you comfortable. What can we do to make that happen? And it was only when he made requests of me that he could participate in that plan to either accept or decline or to try something different. He was not bossing me around. He was simply participating in the plan that I had made for him, which is what your Father in Heaven did for you. When he invited you to pray to him, more than that, when he commanded you to pray to him, it was not so that you could boss around God Almighty and make him do whatever you want him to do. It was because as a good father, he wanted you to participate in the plan he had. What plan? You see the plan the night before Jesus died. See, of all the people in the world who ever felt like prayer changed nothing, Jesus could make that claim. His prayer that night changed nothing. Father, this cup of suffering and death, can we just set that aside and go about this a different way? Could we do that? And the answer was no. His prayer changed nothing because his will was to the obedience of God's plan, which called for sacrifice, So that you would never have to be punished by God. So that you could be with God forever in heaven. And in the meantime, yes, this world will be cold and dark and sometimes hot and sometimes humid and sometimes full of suffering and pain and sorrow and sadness. But your God has a plan. And he invites you to pray. Sometimes your prayers will be met with no's, because the plan you have in your mind is not the ultimate plan God has. Sometimes the soda is not the best choice for you. But those are the moments when you are refocused and resettled on what God's plan and purpose is for you. To bless you through this life, yes, but to be with you forever. So here's something to remember. God's invitation for you to pray doesn't make you the boss of him. His invitation to pray makes you a participant in his plan, which is all about you and all for you. Now, we could do a lot of application on this when it comes to prayer changing you, prayer realigning your mind, prayer realigning your heart, and what it means to participate in God's plan. But here's the the awesome thing coming up. In the next series, starting next week, we're going to dive into all those things. What does it look like to live a life where you're praying to God when you're in the valley, when you see no way out and no way forward? What does it look like to participate in God's plan then? What does it look like when you're in the middle of a storm to participate in God's plan, to to ask him for things, but also to follow his lead? In the next series, we're going to unpack all of that, the series God With Us, as we get ready for the ultimate story of how God, who should have broken this universe apart into Entered this universe in the form of a human being on Christmas. Also, that he could build a pathway between you and God and invite you to participate in the plan that he made good on to save the world and now simply our part to get out the word. Let's close today with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, it's amazing to consider that the the words that we pray to you expand beyond space and time and everything to reach your fatherly heart. And it's amazing that you invite us to pray to you through Jesus Christ, that we've been made worthy through his blood and his suffering and death and resurrection, and that we get to freely talk to you as, as a child talks to their father. I pray that in in today's message, you'd give us the, the wisdom, the courage to be able to maybe change or rekindle our prayer life as we talk to you. You're a good father who wants to hear from your children. And sometimes out of love, you'll say no, and sometimes out of love, you'll tell us to wait. But in the end, this is an exercise that ultimately changes us to be more in line with you. So bless us as we take this message into our lives. And we also pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray.